Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 37 of Beer and Bunts. My name's Chris. My name's James. Uh, and yeah, so this is actually our third dozen of episodes we've done, James. So third 36 dozen. episodes oh, yeah, of ourselves. That cheeky little Kev episode. Yeah. So. I mean, it's been called Cheeky Little Somethings many times. I don't think Kev was the end. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> we'll, we'll move straight on to uh, tried and tested for this episode, which is a tried and tested that you haven't had yet, or can't remember at least, uh, which is from Loch Lomond Brewery, and it is Bravehop which is an IPA, and it is 6% in volume. Now, I've had this quite a few times, just because of my random experimentations when I you know, try different beers. Oh, I thought we didn't talk about your experimentation <clears throat> days, Chris. I thought that was... Is that not taboo? No? Okay. Well, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> what, what could you possibly be on a bit, James? Exactly. I, I suppose... You, oh, yeah, I can't make that joke. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Already alienated uh, so much of them. Uh, so... <laughs> I was going to say, I can't remember trying this, to be fair. Um, but I kind of think it's it's the beer that I might have had when I was around yours, because if you say you've had it quite a few times, so I've, I've had, had it quite had a lot. few lock, lock Le Mans beers, haven't we, uh, to be fair. So uh, mm. there is no likelihood. Either it's forgettable or I haven't tried it. So And given how much you like it, I'm just assuming I haven't tried it. Okay. So. Well, the Lock Lemon Brewery, it's one of those breweries where I think as a entry-level craft beer like brewery i think they've got a good mix so i think there's um there's some beers that are really really nice some beers yeah. that not so much but they actually do quite a wide array at an accessible price so that's the reason why generally they get to feature quite a lot because they're just easy you know what i mean easy to come yeah. by easy to pay for also they, they do <clears> tend to be a little bit more complex than your standard craft beers yeah. as well in the grand scheme of things in terms of flavors and the other thing which as as people who you know review beers on a podcast it does have one of the better kind of tasting note breakdowns of flavors yeah. and hops that are in it like actually if you're trying to learn craft beer it's really useful to actually be able to understand what's in it and why it's the way it is well i absolutely so, love the textured can as well so the label is not just a sticky label there's like actual texture and depth to it and i think that just gives yeah. it like a bit more of a premium feel well what i'll do is while you're kind of having a nose and a sip i'll quickly talk through the can so it is an ipa with columbus and chinook hops with a marmalade and pine aroma Caramel and apricot flavour with a bittersweet finish. So for me, I think it's one of the ones. It is 6%, but it doesn't taste like it's a 6% beer. And also, with that complexity, I think it's actually quite sessionable. I mean, don't get me wrong, 6% yeah. it would be dangerous. Um, <clears throat> have you had a sample of it yet, or you just had the nose? I've just had the nose. And to be honest, I think, you know, the apricot flavour, I, I do get almost what I... I don't know if I can, it's like marmalade type of aroma. Mm. I think maybe that's the way I'm describing it. Because um, there is that bit of sweetness there as well, uh, but very citrusy, I would say. Yeah. Well, in colour, it is a slightly, slightly darker golden colour. It is hazy because obviously these are all unfiltered because it gives it more flavour, more depth. Um, yeah, it's, you know, nothing that really... Stands out most on the actual visual aspect of it. I mean, you you keep on going back, so I'm assuming that you're enjoying it already. I, um, honestly, that that is very pleasant. I don't know what I was expecting. I thought for me maybe it'd be a little bit fruitier, and I think when you see something like apricot flavour, that's quite a distinct flavour. Whereas actually, if I'm honest, I don't really necessarily get apricot. I think it's for me more of a generic citrusy IPA, which isn't a bad thing. I think it's a very pleasant flavour profile. But I, I think for me, it's really crisp and actually, you know, it does have that kind of uh, kind of sweet bitterness aftertaste, but actually it isn't over-egged at all. Um, it doesn't last particularly long. It's actually rather pleasant. It is very sessionable. I see why you drink this, to be fair. This is the style of IPA I would associate with you. Yeah, because I, I like a little so. bit of fruitiness too, but I like also like a bit of the bitterness, mm. but I like something where it, it's not just a... A straightforward, oh, you can neck it because there's not enough there to give you keep you thinking and guessing about it. And it's one of those ones, every swig you do kind of pick up a different tone and it has a kind of different effect each time. Yeah, um, yeah it's just one of the ones where <clears throat> with the type of things that I look for in a beer, it just ticks all the boxes. Uh, but yeah. I, I thought there was enough there for you as well with the, with the hoppiness and the bitterness as well, as well as the fruit, which is not something you necessarily look for there's still yeah. enough there for you to pick up on it as well and i just think it's a well it's a well done ipa personally 
No, I, I think I think you're actually right. I'm not. I hate admitting you're right, but sometimes you've got to do it right. I, I will say, you know, on, on kind of second, third text, I think like the caramel flavor does start coming into a little bit yeah. more. It is one of those kind of build up flavors. It's not something that kind of initially hit me, but it is definitely there. Um, yeah, again, I just don't really get the apricot. But then again, I'm not really a big fan of apricot as a flavor. Sure. But, um, I'm glad it's not there. I do pick up a very subtle apricot flavor, but it's not an apricot as in the fruit flavor. It's more of a, yeah. I think there's a distinct difference between apricot as a fruit and apricot in like something like yogurt, where it's a very, very subtle tone. And I think that's a very subtle thing at the end that I do kind of pick up from myself. I do understand what they mean, Yeah, Uh, but it's not a, it's not a prominent flavor in my personal opinion. Yeah, no, but I I think that's really good. And one thing I think in terms of, you know, uh, because we can actually analyse the hops, I would say something like Chinook. I think I just seem to like IPAs that have Chinook in, to be fair. It is one of those go-tos that I think works well. And I think that's what contributes a lot to that style of aftertaste that is bitter, but very kind of, um, I think, mild bitterness. You know, if we're talking about it from kind of a, was it uh, the rating that I can never remember. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, um, it's terrible, isn't it? Remember we had that one episode where we, we where we actually almost sounded like experts, but that's gone. Oh to be fair, you, you mentioned it far more than me. I ain't got to say what you're on about, to be honest. I had there to research go. it afterwards, but um Yeah, but um yeah, no, it's it, it's it, it's particularly kind of I, I think it's like I say under egged, you know, it's slow build to it and uh, I think it's very pleasant aftertaste, <clears> which you know, sometimes I think that's something you've tend to dislike about IPAs is when it kind of gets a little bit overdone yeah. really bitter for the sake of being bitter and I think you do get a lot of IPAs that like that but I don't think you really get that with Chinooks in, in my opinion from from, uh, from the past experience so we have had them so yeah no I think that's that's very special no agreed and I think oh it's not even expensive I don't think I think it's sort of about even one pound fifty or one pound eighty a can so that price it's a no-brainer to try if it doesn't float your boats you haven't lost yeah, much but... I mean I mean not not to uh to add any kind of advertisement for any supermarkets it correct me if I'm wrong you can get this from Lidl can't you I think you can uh so. the only two actual places you can get it from ironically enough are Lidl and Flavourly so yeah. I don't know why uh, Lockbourne and Brewery have kind of linked up with only those two. I mean, if you go to their website, you can't even buy it from their website. They send you to one of oh, those. Oh, really? Yeah. So they, oh, wow. they have gone all in on those two. But uh, yeah, if you get an opportunity, again, definitely worth it. Uh, yeah. Right. So we'll move on to our usual kind of entertainment dissection. And for a change, you know, because it's been a couple of episodes since we spoke about it. And favourite uh, <laughs> online streaming service. Disney Plus. Um, if you go to Disney Plus and use uh, <laughs> coupon code Beer and Bands, you will get ten percent off. Um, is that actual genuine? I, I wish that could be a thing. Honestly, <laughs> if we could set up a referral code. We'd make at least one pound. Um, would be really good, but okay. maybe we get um, free month. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh well, but yeah, the wonder that is the Marvel. I, I suppose uh, kind of TV release that has been doing kind of one episode a week of WandaVision then Captain uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier Captain Falcon and the Winter Soldier yeah is that not just like Falcon and the Winter Soldier no well I think I think it's just because he becomes Captain Falcon in the end so it's Captain Falcon hybrid yeah Captain Falcon I see I stick to this because in the comic books that is what he is right he's not Captain America he's not Steve Rogers replacement it's Captain Falcon I don't know but as as we all know that the MCU does not follow the uh the comic book arcs like to the letter and creates their own so I don't agree with you but yeah so um, finally the final one of course was Loki which I think we both kind of held off of talking about because we wanted to kind of cover it in one big kind of bumper review you know start to finish rather than because i think in the past we might have kind of talked about the start of one and then the end of it whereas this kind of you know actually our decision is almost fully fledged by this point you know we've watched it back to back there's no kind of yeah we've seen the whole the whole series in one go now yeah yeah there's no cliffhangers which are kind of leading us into kind of uh debates about you know what direction it's going to go into who the big villain is so uh, i don't know if you want to kind of because you're quite good at giving the overview without giving too much spoilers away whereas i definitely give away too much detail away so okay yeah that's fair enough uh yeah so essentially uh loki is anybody who's kind of seen uh endgame when they've gone back in time loki manages to escape with a tesseract and we don't see anything beyond that point Essentially, it gets the show gets picked up from 
that like individual section and then it's the story arc that follows that which is essentially it's lining up the next couple of phases of marvel films going forward so um what happens is the loki escapes the tesseract and then they get in it gets intercepted by a um what would you call it a it's not an, an agency, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, well, that's what they are, right? It's kind of like FBI's a time time variance uh, <clears throat> agency, right? That the TVA. Yeah, so the, the TVA is basically um, it, that's the it, like agency that collects him, which essentially anything that goes against what the normal uh, the sacred timeline is, they get basically intercepted. That arc is destroyed, and then the normal timeline cons- like continues as normal. Now, what happens from uh, that point is essentially he's intercepted, he's interrogated, um, without giving too much away. I mean, the first episode giving away too much. I don't think he's giving away too much because he's been out for yeah, a while no. now. Yeah. So uh, basically, what happens is they actually try and use Loki to trap another variant, which is causing massive issues with that sacred timeline. And then their job is basically to police it and try and make everybody everything stick to this order that they expect everything to exist in. So yeah. what happens is um, basically... Well, I, I think, yeah, I think that the kind of big crux of it, of course, is kind of Marvel have tried to create this, what they call the kind of multiverse. So essentially there's all of these different versions of the same universe all happening at the same time. So when I think you mentioned variant, what that is, is just another version of the same MCU character. So, for example, there could be 20 or 30 Loki variants. Uh, there could be loads of different versions of Thor, Iron Man. And essentially what the TVA are doing are kind of going through the timeline and making sure that all of these different versions don't create basically what they call branch realities. Uh, I realise that I am just kind of fully nerding out at this point about it, but I think it's one of those where it's really cleverly done. And I think time travel is something that TV shows just don't normally get right. Yeah. Uh, and it can always kind of overcomplicate it with different things. Whereas actually this one tries to make it very simplistic to understand. And I think if you understand the Marvel characters, there's a lot of kind of good Easter eggs, humor to it. Whereas actually there's also this really dark story. And I think for me personally, it's probably my favorite one of the lot, I think, in terms of just character <clears throat> development. I think Tom Hiddleston is just an amazing actor. And I think yeah. he's played his part wonderfully, you know, because this is a completely new version of Loki because he hasn't had that kind of character development he had through the movies because he's essentially restarted um, yeah. because, you know, it, it's a different version of him. And I think it just, they've done it in a really good way. Um, I think my favorite Easter egg is the very final episode of Loki. If you play that at the same time as the final episode of WandaVision, they actually line up. So there are certain points in the movie where there might be cracks to certain things and they actually line up with both actions that they're doing. So the movies that it's leading into, which I think is uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, you don't actually know which one has caused that. You don't know if it's Wanda or you don't know if it's Loki and the events of both, or it might be a combination of both of them. And actually the actions they're doing kind of interlink at almost the same time um which is just really good if you see kind of a comparison of it and it's just this whole tv universe they built up has just kind of come together i think coalesced into what has just been a really good timeline um i'm sure people are turned off by now from my massive you know um probably probably better to kind of bring it back to a light touch thing but i think it was really good really good yeah I, I, i agree with you i think the way it was done it was very clever um and what I like about the three Marvel series that they've done is everyone is very, very different. One very much about emotion, one very much about action, one very much about yeah. Yeah, mystical side of things. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the way that in which they've done all three of them has actually worked really, really well. And But Loki, for me, I do think it was... There's something special about it. And the thing with Loki as a character as well, he's got, an, especially the fact that he's played by Tom Hiddleston, as you mentioned. Yeah. He's got a natural warmth that you draw into, I think. And I think the way he plays it, it's that lovable rogue yeah, aspect. Yeah. And I think that's and, something uh, that he... And Owen Wilson across. as well, probably the best supporting actor that you can have. Like the humour and kind of like humility it brought to it, I thought worked really well. I think there was obviously good screen chemistry for me. You're a bit... Mm, 
I'm not a fan uh, of Owen Wilson. I think he did. I'm just going to say. In, wow. I will. I will give him his due. In that, I thought he was very good. And also, like, I really liked him in a film called Hall Pass. I thought he played that really well. Yeah. I think. I think. Yeah. I think there's certain roles that he does very, very well. This being one of them. Yeah. But he does it tend to irritate me as well. So. The thing is, he tends to play <clears throat> a very similar roles in a lot of movies. Yeah. Uh, and I think this does kind of break away from his standard role. And I think he does it really well. Um, and, you know, hopefully, for me personally, I hope the character stays in it for the longer MCU. And I think I think it seems like people are comparing him to, like, the TV version, of, I suppose, of Phil Coulson for maybe some of the, the next phase of Marvel yeah, stuff. Yeah, I kind of get it. Like, get you can kind of see him bringing some of the characters together. I, could, I think that, that would work really well. But I think the only other thing that I will mention that I don't know if you knew, but I thought was quite cool, is uh, there is a big theory going around that I think one of the producers almost all but confirmed is essentially the six episodes of Loki, every single one of them represents a different Infinity Stone. Which is kind of oh, okay. the main builder <clears throat> of kind of I suppose the, the you know end game, um, and it is just it's a really good idea because actually when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense considering that's the probably you know at the very start you mentioned the tesseract that's one of these kind yeah. of all powerful objects and it's his obsession and he realizes that in a TBA they don't mean anything like this ultimate power of the MCU which has almost overpinned all these other movies to the TBA is all meaningless like they don't yeah. do anything like you know it, and and i think just it's that breakdown of how each one of them kind of represents some of his inner psyche because it's the one thing he's always been driving towards and actually when you look at them even things like the color schemes of each one of the episodes kind of relate to a set crystal and stuff like that and a set uh, infinity stone and it, it it's really compelling i think as a theory and i think one of the producers said that was the kind of artistic kind of thought process they put into it so Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah I, I really think I think it was very well done, and yeah, we've always encouraged people to actually watch these shows anyway because I think whether you're a comic book fan or not, I just think they're really enjoyable TV series to watch, and they're not very long as well. So you know, it's not something you have to dedicate a massive amount of time to. But if you've got it to like your kids or something like that, it's yeah. worth it and watching it again, the full enjoyment of the back as well. But if you haven't seen Loki yet, it's definitely yeah. um, it's it's definitely worth. Like giving it a blast, I don't think. Yeah, and if we can, if we can just say, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse, if you're watching this, like or listening to this, should I say, like, please, can you let our family go? We've done what you've asked. We plugged Disney Plus many a time now, but please return them back to us. Like, honestly, oh boy. Anyway, I was about uh, to do that. I was about to do it. Oh, you were about to do it. You were about to do it. No, okay, there we go. Uh, I think that was- uh, we, we spent too much time together. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, the front test for that episode. Were, for that episode, for this episode, is Brave Up from Lock Island Brewery. Definitely worth uh, trying, easily accessible and nice flavor profile. Now, yep. moving on to the Peter Falk for this episode, is I'd probably class this as a, another peasant beer, shall we say. So, it is cheap. I didn't really know much about it, to be honest. Now, this is called Upstate, and it's a parallel from Stuart Brewing Company. Now, this is, again, your favourite supermarket, James, Little. Um, well, because to be clear, it's a collaboration beer, right? So it's not yeah. just Stuart Brewing. It's also with Haverwood. And yeah. we have had one of their beers on the podcast before yes. as well. So, um, yeah, I was trying to find something about this as well, and I couldn't. <laughs> if I'm completely honest, the so. I think it is a it's a collaboration between Heatherwood and Stuart Brewing Company with a sole intention of ripping off Elvis juice. That is yeah, yeah. With apart from the colour scheme, that's where it looks like they've gone for. So it you know, it's a rich in American hops, light bodied with tangy grapefruit flavours. Five percent. It's just like a probably a more sessionable version of it. Now, on the colour, it is similar kind of colour, so like kind of like a slightly darker golden colour. Um, it is hazy, but not as hazy as the IPA. Yeah. Um, I do get the grapefruit, to be fair. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not picking like, the grapefruit up on the flavour, um, on the uh, aroma, sorry. No, I can pick up yeah, the hops, I, and the, I can pick up the caramel malt smell. So that's kind of smells yeah. a bit more like an amber. So that'll be interesting. So um, do you well, want to... Cause, cause, yeah, because this is something to say, really, is that I, I Elvis Juice is probably one of the few brew dog beers I, I despise, absolutely. It's probably one of my least favourite. Whereas actually, on the complete opposite, it's one of the few you actually really <clears> like, isn't it, yeah. Elvis Juice? So, I'm, not, um, I'm not a huge uh, fan of the beers that... All the beers yeah. that we don't make. I think they make some really nice ones, but then I think they make some absolutely terrible ones as well. 
Um, but yeah, Upstate Pale Ale is pale in colour. Those rich, uh, the nose is rich with fresh citrus aroma from American hops. The taste is light-bodied with moderate bitterness and tang grapefruit flavours. Try this very drinkable pale ale with your favourite Mexican dishes. Don't know why Mexican, but okay. Uh, I've had a sip of it. And to be honest, I actually didn't pick up that much of the grapefruit on it. I actually think it's very, say, very understated on it, to be honest. I got more in the room. I, I will say, I think amber, amber ale, I think is probably a good description of it in terms of it is incredibly mm. weak, light. Um, you know, I hate to say it, it's almost watery. It's very refreshing as a beer, but actually it's very like light-bodied. I want a little bit more there. Um, very, well, remember, very we've also got, flavor. we have come from a quite decent-bodied IPA as well to this, so it is naturally going to seem like a, a much lighter drink by comparison yeah, of it as well. I think even then, even <clears> then, to me, it kind of because I think we've done we've done this enough to have that kind of yeah true juxtaposition. I think even then, it feels a lot lighter than I was expecting it to be for a kind of a pale ale. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's also quite flat as well. I, I, you know, for a pale ale and stuff like mm. that, I normally would expect maybe a bit more carbonation, especially from a cheaper brewery, because I think you do tend to get a bit more carbonation from those types of beer. Um, because I think they try and get that foam more so because they, you know, it's more expected, I think, of cheaper beer sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it, it is very, for me, it's a very, it's a slightly American take on a traditional kind of English amber ale. It's got those kind of flavor tones. It is a very light version of it in, in the flavor profiles, but it has got that caramel multi type flavor to it. A little bit of hoppiness to the American hops and kind of give it a little bit extra, but nothing massive. And the grapefruit, to be honest, I think kind of gets a little bit lost. It's not an unpleasant drink at all. No, no. I'm probably just, the closest is it one of those ones that I want at the moment. I'm honest, you know, if you compare it to like an American style lager, it's that with a little bit more hop and a little bit more flavor to it. Yeah. But actually, from a body point of view, it's so light bodied. You know, I think if you're a fan of lagers, it is very drinkable in that sense. Yeah, it's not um, far for Sam Adams, is it really? Yeah, yeah, actually, that, that's a good shout, I think. Like, it is that kind of style, I think. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do agree with that as well. But yeah, so it's not actually what I expected at all. I thought it was going to be a Elvis Juice competitor, but definitely not. But, yeah, um... I was expecting like full punch kind of uh, grapefruit, quite strong. I think, you know, Elvis Juice is quite a full body drink as well. I yeah, was expecting it's a heavy one, one yeah. That, so, yeah. But um, actually, if anything, it's probably better for me. Like, so I'm not a big fan of Elvis Juice. It's <laughs> actually sessionable, very drinkable. So, Oh yeah, I can. It's definitely something to eat to drink in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I don't think it cost much. I think it was about one pound twenty or something like that. So again, as a price is like easily more. I, I think to be fair, this is something we don't talk about often on on the podcast in terms of cost of beers, and I think it is one of those where actually, like, yes, <clears> there <throat> probably isn't as much flavour in some of kind of like the more expensive beers. And actually, if you think price per beer of what you're getting, that is incredibly pleasant. You know, better oh, yeah. than most of your kind of lagers that you're going to get and I think it's that aspect of it which we don't really judge when we review them to be fair in True. terms of like what's good quality or good value for money I suppose yeah um and I think you know if we were, if we're judging on that kind of merit this would probably be definitely up there um you know on that basis so you know I think that's what you've got to think about when you buy these more budget beers like you know you're probably not going to get something that is going to blow your socks yeah. off but at the same time you are going to get kind of that consistency and for the most part what you would consider a very sessional beer because quite often let's be honest they're, they're brewed by mainline breweries anyway and then just yeah. put on a cheaper label really so you know they're more standard beers they'll change the recipe ever so slightly and then sell it off a little bit cheaper so um you know from a consistency point of view you probably always get that so yeah yeah agreed but no it's uh it is it's easy drinking it's just um it depends on what you're actually after out of it yeah, if you're after a big beer, Hito is definitely not one for you. But yeah. if you just want something that's like, to be honest, let's face it, with a with a burger and a barbecue, it's probably bang on the money, really, isn't it? So yeah, but yeah, so that's Peter Fault for this episode. So I have been watching something quite a lot recently, James. I'm not going to lie. Um, no, I've seen I see on Facebook <clears throat> all the time, and you know what? I'm glad you do it because. Uh, I haven't had as much time to watch this as you have um, for the most part. And like, I've been watching clips of it, but yeah. Yeah. So the, we've been talking about the hundred ever since we started the podcast really, because we were yeah. expecting this to happen last year, obviously. Uh, so the hundred is a new cricket tournament, which is very much developed with the idea of 
adding speed to it, making it far more exciting, but also trying to keep it to a two-hour format. So it's actually a lot more accessible for people. Um, I've been absolutely addicted to it. A lot of people, I think, who weren't expecting to enjoy it have also been addicted to it. Don't get me wrong, the graphics are absolutely horrendous and it takes you a while to work out where everything actually means. It does look like a uh, toddler has drawn them. I think my three-year-old could have actually done a better job, if I'm honest. Uh, However, yeah, as a format and as a game, I've absolutely loved it. So I, oh, what I've been doing on the night time, because normally um, when I feed my son at the end of tea time at six o'clock, uh, normally we don't have any television on, uh, we focus on the food, then we'll go and sit and watch a couple of hay doggies and then, you know, put him to bed and then I'll put on whatever I want to. There, what I've been doing, because the games have been starting around between six and half six, I've been whacking the uh, game on in the kitchen whilst <laughs> feeding my son and we've been sitting there watching the cricket each night, it's been great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, that is great. Say that, he loves sports, so I'm sure he's... he's oh, yeah, he, he, he's happy as Larry, so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think my wife's overly impressed, but, you know, it is what it is on these things. But, um, yeah, so essentially what the format is, traditionally with cricket is you have so many overs, so six balls and over. Uh, at the end of each over, you swap in, so the fielders move around. And, you know, it, there's a lot of faff that kind of goes in with it. Yeah. With the 100, there's no end swapping. It's all 100 balls. The overs are dropped down to fives. So, again, just to make it a bit mm. easier to... You know, keep on top of, no messing about, and it is literally bang, bang, bang. The only time there's any slight delays is A, if they're reviewing a call, or B, it's a quick swap over the, the bowler. But again, it's all done with a time restriction. So yeah. they have to do it within a certain amount or receive a forfeit, basically. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, this is actually what they did with T20 when it first started. But that kind of got lost as they can get more yeah. adverts in and you know bumping yeah. money yeah. up and all that type of thing with this one they're trying to bring it back and they're trying to reinforce it and yeah. i think it's been I, there's been some absolutely stunning games to watch so far um i think one of the best ones i watched was the welsh fire versus the southern brave they are, yeah that that was a, one of them really really close cut games and you know it was all the way through it could have been anybody's um, taking yeah. it Welsh Fire would in the end but there's so many points where the Brave are actually well ahead of target to actually you know clean them out yeah. so. but there's eight teams in total uh, so we have Welsh Fire based in Cardiff we have Southern yeah. Brave which are based in Southampton Oval Invincibles based in South London uh, London Spirit yeah. which is based in uh, Lords North London or Middle London wherever it is um, Birmingham Phoenix Manchester Originals. Originals, yeah. Northern Superchargers. Superchargers. And the Trent Bridge Rockets, or the Trent Rockets. Yeah. So that's yeah. the eight teams, and they're all going head-to-head with, you know, alternating half the games will be at home, half the games will be away, and then there's a playoff format at the end. So, um, yeah. I think, have, I what think have you noticed from it so far? I think, for me, what I'm loving is the consistency. I love the fact mm. that it's, like, a game every night. Like, it... And that's exciting. It's the fact that you've always got something to watch. I think it's one of those when you get this type of sport that sometimes, I don't know, you almost, you kind of have to wait next week for the next game from a league point of view, and it's actually quite exciting to do it. And, you know, dare I say, it's more kind of like the way baseball is played in such a number of games in such a short amount of time. And that's what I think the fans want to see. Um, I think we said before when we kind of talked about this, it's the pace of it. We always said, like, it's one thing I like about T20 that people go for it or at least should. And you sometimes don't get that all the time. Whereas actually because the time constraints and the kind of limited number of balls, like you're constantly going for fours and sixes and that's what you want to see. And actually for the most part, from a batting point of view, they, they do go for it because actually yeah. just staying in for the sake of staying in just isn't worth it. Like, and it Well, no, you, 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 you brew your team out straight away, don't you? You have to go exactly. straight from the off. And that's what's good. I think, uh, you know, I think I said to you, you know, I hadn't, up until because we talked about this on Monday, I think, and I said, you know, I hadn't yeah. watched every game. Uh, and then I think the one that I, I watched was the um Trent Rockets versus Northern Superchargers, yes, yeah. Northern Superchargers, and that like ending was just so close by like two runs, and it was such a good, like, intense game. 
Um, and I think for me personally, I think that that's the kind of thing you want to see. And for the most part, every game is really close. Like you're not talking more than maybe 30 runs between them. And actually, you know, up until the very end, like anybody could win if they really bring it home and kind of get loads of fours and sixes. Like it is genuinely anybody's game and it yeah. is that kind of nail biting experience. Um, and, you know, I think it's one of those where if you turn up, it's really good. I think the only thing I don't like personally, and I think, you know, this was something I was, so for example, I, I tried to look at, okay, uh, I want to get tickets for EU, for example, right? And I was trying to look at when the games were like in Edgbaston or kind of easy accessible times. And actually, for the most part, it's not always. And I think for me personally, because it's every night, you know, trying to then work that round schedule to actually get to see a game can be very difficult yeah um and i think you know from a fan point of view probably this close to covid it's fine but i hope next time in terms of the schedule you know maybe it can be a little bit more workable um and i think you know hopefully we'll be able to actually go see a game because uh, i think that's one thing i always wanted to do with this was you know definitely go see it live but actually just timings as well um it is quite late sometimes in the games and you know i think it's one of those where I think that that part of we've always said, you know, one of the, the things it was always two back to back games is the way that it's played. Yeah. Um, and therefore you can be there for quite a while. And I think given, you know, I, if I hate to say it, it's one of the things I wish I still lived in Birmingham with you, because then, you know, probably it'd be a lot easier to jump into Edgbaston. But even then, it's very limited to the number of games that are being played. Um, I think isn't the final in the Oval as well? Yeah. So. I, I, maybe next year the final might be in Edgbaston if they kind of circulate them around where uh, they also have finals in certain like because Edgbaston has yeah. got the Vitality Blast finals and yeah. Edgbaston. Yeah. I would like to see it actually yeah. move around to like Headingley and places like that. Yeah, exactly, or, or or some different <clears> kind of things. And I, I think maybe that's something they'll think about long term. But I, to be fair, when I was talking to kind of a, a friend about it, it's you know it hopefully. I suppose the Vitality Blast has always been seen as the England version of kind of the Indian League. And actually, yeah, I think the, IPL, the hundred yeah. will be, yeah, the, the hundred will become that in a way. I think you know just the way that the fans are getting involved in it. Um, I actually like the art style. I'll be honest. I think it's quite engaging, and it is at least different. You know, I'm not saying it's perfect, and they could definitely do. No, I like better, the art style. I just think the graphics to watch yeah. on the screen are so oh. confusing, especially if you're. You, yeah. yeah, let's face it. Yeah. For a cricket fan, which we both are. It's not something that's easy to understand straight from the off. No, it takes, no. you, takes you a couple of minutes to yeah. work it. So if you yeah, go yeah. into it without any concept of what cricket is, you're yeah. going to be like, WTF? What the hell's going on there? You know, so... I always thought this with <clears throat> snooker. Like, I saw, it was around like uh, 2010 or something. They were like, oh, we're going to make snooker really fun for like young people and make yeah. it really kind of like cool and artsy. And they did very similar kind of new graphic style everybody hated it and they had to change it back within I think like I remember that, yeah. two or three weeks because it was genuinely just hard to follow they completely changed it around and people were just completely lost and like don't worry I understand they wanted to make snooker a bit more engaging but actually the core fan base clearly weren't there like they liked it the way it was and so they quickly kind of changed it back so um it'll be one of those that I, I don't know I think there'll be a lot of change um over the next couple of years but hopefully they kind of keep the core of it there and I think yeah. like you said with T20 you know they quickly got away from, from their roots yeah what they were trying to do yeah. and, and hopefully the 100 won't do that and I think you know the way the fans have reacted to it I've seen a lot of positive reaction to it and, and hopefully um it'll kind of stick around to be fair I do have a northern superchargers uh, jersey coming my way soon so because yeah, obviously Northern Superchargers are your uh, closest team, aren't they? Oh no, Trent they Rockets. are my closest. No, 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 they're my. No, Rockets are your closest team. No, um, no, closest team to my heart, Chris. To my heart. You haven't got one of those, so we've established this before. Um, You're right. It, it's Alice's anyway. But yeah, I know you were saying this about the uh, the games and stuff because obviously, uh, you know, you have a lot of family that is based in Yorkshire. Yeah. So actually, yeah. we were talking online, obviously, when everybody else was actually getting hyped of it as well as myself. Uh, and yeah. actually, if it wasn't. Like when Birmingham Phoenix are playing Northern Superchargers, I think just Tuesday evening was like, there's yeah. no chance of us getting to Leeds in that time frame. Obviously, yeah. for next year, maybe we could book a couple of days it, off and honestly, it, it all depends yeah. where the games are as well. You know, if it was in Edgebaston on a Tuesday, it'd be a lot easier for us. And I think, it, you know, next year it might be the other way around. And, uh, you know, how they do it will be interesting to see. Um, and, you know, there's nothing rolling out, you know, necessarily going this year. Who knows? Well, I am going. Just so we know. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've actually got no. I already bought my tickets. I'm actually yeah. going on the 9th of August. 
So oh. I'm actually going to watch the uh, Birmingham Phoenix versus the Welsh Fire. So I got so into it. I was like, I've got to in the normal yeah, season. Yeah, I, no, have I, to go I, I respect that. I respect that. So uh, yeah, there's just me and uh, one friend that's going. You know, not a massive group of us like it normally would be, but yeah. yeah it was, just, it was just too good an option to pass up, really. But, yeah, yeah if you yeah, haven't been definitely, watching the 100, definitely. one thing I do like about it as well is the accessibility. So a lot of the games have been on BBC Two. They've been on Sky One. They're also on Sky Sports Mix as well as normal Sky Sports. So, essentially, if yeah. you have any kind of Sky or Virgin Media package, generally, the channels that the games are on, you have access to. Yeah. So anybody can watch at least a game. And I think it's... It's definitely worthwhile for you. I think you're pleasant to Even if you despise cricket, I think you'll actually enjoy it. I think it's that quicker pace. It does make yeah. it a little bit more enjoyable because I think a lot of people get fed up of how long kind of it's waiting, test, yeah. test matches <clears throat> take and stuff like that. And it is completely different. I think if you're thinking of it as like a really slow paced game, it just isn't. And I think yeah. actually you will enjoy it. Um, yeah, so definitely, definitely check it out. Yeah, I'm definitely more of a white ball cricket man rather than a red ball cricket. Yeah, red ball yeah, cricket, definitely. the test stuff, for me, it's just, yeah, no. It, I can't keep the focus for that long, to be honest. So one yeah. day... I mean, there's, there's certain skills to it. And I think, for me, the best players are the ones that can switch between them yeah. with ease and, and do both. Um, you know, I think, you know, if you look at someone like Ben Stokes, prime example of actually yeah. someone who can do both. Or um, Bairstow as well, to be fair. Bairstow has been... Yeah, 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 uh, yeah Bairstow's really good, good, yeah. So. yeah. Uh, but yeah. But that's enough cricket talk because I'm sure we bored people anyway. So uh, yeah, Upstate, uh, which was a collaboration, it was a pale ale with group, uh, grapefruit tones. Apparently, uh, not that I really noticed it, but yeah, uh, definitely worth a blast for the price. Sorry, range. that had great grapefruit in it. Apparently so, yeah. Oh wow! Right, so moving on to the around the world for this episode, which is from Belgium again, James, and this one is called Golden Drac. Now. Golden Drac has been recommended to me by somebody for about the last six years. And at no point in that time have I actually drank it. But (laughs) Paul in uh, Albury, I finally listened to you. We finally managed to get Golden Drac. So this one has actually been selected for this episode solely because of yourself, because I've finally actually listened to you and bought some. So this one is, uh, it's a Belgian beer, which is a triple which I don't think we've had on the podcast, have we? If we have one, no, I, don't, one. I, I think we've had a duple. I don't think we've had a, tri- uh, a triple. I think, because yeah. of course there's different versions of the Golden Drac. There is a quadruple, <clears> which again, we haven't had, maybe, maybe in the future, who yeah. knows? Um, but yeah, this is the standard triple. So this is, there. And it's probably one of the highest rated Belgian beers, I think. It, it has got a good reputation. It is up there. Yeah. Like, so. It's 10.5% as well. So it is a bit of loopy juice. Now it oh, is wow. very dark in colour. Uh, Probably on the lines, I'd say across between like an amber and a porter. Can you say that's a fair analysis? Yeah, I think I think in terms of darkness, yeah, definitely. Um, it does seem relatively clear as well. I mean, it is a bit thick, obviously, with, with that intensity of the alcohol. I am kind of expecting that as well. Um, I'll be honest, the aroma is is really nice. I mean, it's it's it is kind of it is nice, but it is also you can tell there's going to be a, a punch in the beer. Yeah, I, now, uh, who's going to go first, then, James? You know, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll, no, he's going I'll in. He's got his big boy pants in. Right. So, uh, is there anything else I can kind of tell you about this? No. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> just I mean, that, Belgian beer. That that's an interesting hairs, That will put hairs on your chest, Chris. That's for sure. Wow. More so than is already there. Um, I'm not actually a particularly hairy man, to be honest. I don't know. It's it's very nice. I mean, dare I say, was, uh, the, the word that's coming to mind was almost kind of banana, like molasses kind of spice to it, to be fair, in terms of the full Jeez. body. But yeah, I, it is. you can taste the alcohol, that's for sure. It's um, not unpleasant. No, it that's is it. not unpleasant. Spice, my the, God, the strength of it. Yeah, the spices, <clears> I think, <throat> is really well balanced, actually. And you do almost get kind of, I don't know, this is the thing trying to like put flavors like this because I'm trying to. I, I was thinking of combination of like banana or molasses or something like kind of almost you get in white grapes. Personally, there, I would. Point of view. I would say a honey flavor. I would that say kind caramel. of sweetness. I would, I would say the caramel tones in as well, but with a honey yeah. kind of aftertaste. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of complexity in the actual flavor profile itself. A lot of it does come from that alcohol. Mm. Um, yeah. But, 
which obviously that's where the sweetness comes from because the more sugar in there, the more alcohol, you know, kind of like counteracts each other yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but mm. I, like I say, it's it's that balance between sweetness and spice. Um, yeah. They they in my opinion have got really well for a kind of Belgium beer, and I think triple. I, I have had a triple before, and for the most part you know all i ever remember was strength and actually for the most part you get belgian beers that are really heavy whereas yeah. actually this is quite light there's a lot of carbonation to it yeah um, and actually doesn't really kind of have that same effect um and i think that's probably what's standing out more to me is you would tend to have a kind of much full-bodied beer of this type um whereas actually this is a lot lighter so i think it benefits from the fact that it doesn't have a lot of sediment in it either so get extra give it extra yeah. inside the bottle yeah it may when they do that sometimes it gives it a bit of an extra fruity taste to it but it also it can just destroy the flavor profiles with it as well it's a bit grainy whereas actually i think like you say it's a lot smoother because of that i think you know yeah i think um, so yeah yeah no, it's actually a far more enjoyable than i expected that to be um i expected to detest it because again we're not massive belgian ale fans but i can I see honest, where like, that enjoyment does come from you can tell that it's a stronger beer, but actually I think, you know, that spice and sweetness does hide it very well, actually. Um, you can tell it's alcoholic, but at the same time, I probably would drink that and think maybe seven to 8%. I wouldn't necessarily think 10 and a half. No. I think it is one of those actually does bring it down. And it, it is dangerous. That, that's where the balance thing. Yeah. You know what I that like is, don't you? Juice. That is, you have a bottle of that when wearing a big puffy coat with a woolly hat, round a fire pit when it's snowing. That's that type of beer, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Well, there you go. When that happens because of global warming, I'll be right around Solly Holland. Uh, we can do that, so. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, but that was Golden Drack. So um, surprisingly pleasant um, and actually quite enjoyable on the actual flavour palette. Not overly complex, but enough there to keep you yeah. going I, back I'd to it. I'd say to Paul that we probably won't wait three years to try one of your suggestions, but we know that will still happen. So. I mean, to be honest, let's face it, he is from Albridge, so he doesn't try that many new things. Uh, right, so um, very briefly, we'll move on to the other big sport event that we got. Uh, we're not going to be talking about sport a lot in yep. this part. It's kind of a follow-on to something else. However, Olympics have started. Um, yeah. I haven't watched as much as I normally would, mainly due to working commitments and also I've been watching the 100 hours. Um <laughs> Well, see, this is where I, I think I said to you, it's been the opposite for me. I've been watching more Olympics than I normally do. Um, I mean, so where I work, they're actually a sponsor of Team GB anyway. And so in our canteen, it's just massive screens and projectors yeah. of Olympics 24-7. So I just can take my laptop and work in there. And actually, it's really good and just be able to watch it in the background. And yeah, up. I'm totally doing work for anybody from work listening to this, but it's very pleasant to actually be able to, to watch and get involved in some random sports that I don't normally watch, to be fair. And things like kind of uh, judo and stuff like that, that I would never normally yeah. watch from like martial arts and stuff like that have been quite pleasant to do. Um, I, I think some of the things I probably want to mention, um, you know, Tom Daly, if nobody else, the poster boy for Team GB, I think a very kind of well-deserved gold medal. Um, yeah, it's worked hard to get there. 13 years of, of determination. And you could just tell, I think, you know, the, the picture of like him just holding it and crying, I think just shows that sheer determination and just shows that spirit, really. Um, you know, I think for the most part, we're, we're doing really well so far. I think they said we've got more medals now at this early stage than we've ever had before. Yeah. Um, which is a really good positive. I think it's one of those where distance always, apart from, let's say, let's be honest, the US, where they just put loads of money and put loads of contestants into it. Normally, kind of location is a big factor yeah. in terms of how many kind of uh, kind of athletes can get over there. I still think Paris 2024 will be our best. Yeah, I think everybody, everybody's been saying that for a while. Just location, I think, just looking at some of the upcoming talent we've got, the amount of funding that's been going into it in the past kind of like decade will have hit that i think we didn't really hit that peak in london i think it will be probably in paris um but i think you know i think we should still come out pretty well um in tokyo to be fair 
I don't know. People say we're probably what going to be third or fourth. I think we're currently fifth on the medal tables. Yeah, as, as we were fourth. Them, we so. dropped down to fifth or now. Sixth, maybe sixth, actually. Are we sixth now? I can't remember. It's fifth or sixth, isn't it? Uh, last time I checked, it was fifth. Um, but to be fair, yeah. I haven't, so, because of what's happened yeah. to them, I haven't had a chance to catch up. Because yeah. unlike yourself, where you get TV screens, um, I work in a place where we don't encourage fun. Um. <laughs> it's a hard job. It's a hard job, Chris. Uh, yeah, I think the only other one I was going to mention is um, Simone Biles, who, uh, of yes. course, dropped out. And, there, you know, I think the only reason I would say that is I think, <clears> you know, anybody who, you know, shows the importance of something like mental health at probably one of the biggest events of their lives, but actually shows the importance of actually I'm not ready for this, I'm not in the mindset, and kind of puts the onus on that, I think it's really important to mention because actually I 100% back her decision. You know, I don't think it's something that, you know, in terms of, her personal reasons for doing so hasn't really been stated too much. I think it's, you know, very much some of the subtext behind it because it's not being massively stated by them. But I, I think it's a really important step by anybody to kind of, yeah, I think mental health is important. And Well, yeah. I'm just going to quickly interject there because I've actually followed some only bios for oh, is uh, this quite one a of few your years. Um, okay. It's one of the ones where through the Olympics, you kind of gain a a lot of respect for something like gymnastics. You know, gymnastics isn't, isn't a, a discipline that I'm necessarily interested in as a general rule, yeah. but I, anything like a, a Commonwealth or an Olympics, I will always watch it because I know the sheer volume of effort and training that they put into um, actually achieving those yeah. goals. So whether you relate to it or not, the work rate and dedication, especially gymnastics, the amount of damage it causes to your body is like crazy. And I remember when... Yeah because um, 2012 there was a big focus on the Olympics especially from the um, like the female aspect of it so Beth Tweddle yeah. was obviously our big hope at that particular point and she was absolutely annihilated by the British press and you know made it feel like utter shit if I'm honest and yeah there was horrendous for her Simone Biles it, she came on the scene and pretty much pushed out the top two gymnasts in the US team like within a year. So that's how talented this kid is. Yeah. You know, what yeah. woman now. Uh, when she came onto the scene, she, like no one had actually really seen someone as dynamic for quite some time. And she literally for the last eight years has carried the hopes of the entire US gymnastics yeah. on her shoulders she's a young lady and that is one hell of a cross to bear and the second i, I thought the bbc journalist that i was uh, watching earlier on today about it was uh, somebody up is it's not a case of you don't care it's just your focus isn't right so normally you could tell she like the first thing she did was on the vault and normally when she does a vault she'll do a two and a half spins what happened was she only had to do one last spins, which is a massive flag that something is actually not quite right. But it's not the fact that actually she doesn't execute the spin properly, but it also shows you that um, it actually puts her in danger. So but essentially what happens with yeah. the um, spin, if they lose focus of where they are in that spin not only can you land awkwardly and cause a career-ending injury it can actually be a hell of a lot worse so for you yeah. watch it for something's going to take like five seconds you think oh is that it actually no there's so much dedication and focus required yeah. to do that yeah. and that's where she knew there was there was a danger and she needed to pull out and she's pulled out of everything now and you don't do that lightly when you when you no. No. when you're at the top level there's got to be something seriously wrong and she also like spoke out about um, the abuse within the US gymnastics uh, going up. She's experienced it first and then actually spoke out about some of the coaches and things that have happened. So, yeah, this is a woman that has got a lot of respect for myself and a lot of people yeah. around the world. And I think, uh, yeah, if she's been a light to it, I think people should listen. So I, yeah. I, think, I think this is where journalism has a responsibility to make sure we actually protect our athletes rather than just beat them down when something goes wrong. We should be supporting them throughout. Yeah. And I think, you know, the shameful thing is it's kind of half and half bag. Some have been quite positive. Some have mm. been quite negative, especially in America. Um, and I think, you know, if you're in the UK, I think definitely look at some of those because 
I think quite often we don't really see American journalism because it is filtered down by the time it gets <clears> to us. And actually, if you look online, you can just see some of kind of almost horrific things that people say. I think over here, you know, probably the people I, I, you know, we don't really talk politics very much, but Piers Morgan, I'm not a fan of. And actually no. some of the statements he made, I, I just think of violence just completely, completely out of hand. I think I always compare it um, to, to kind of my half-sister who used to be a ballet dancer in the Royal Ballet and just the amount of dedication that she put for so much of her life and pretty much ruined so much of herself because the amount of time and effort she did in terms of like mobility issues that she got from it because the dedication you put into it it's one of those where you almost do break yourself because you know it's all you've ever known and that kind of dedication discipline is instilled into you and part of that that kind of profession and that is the exact same with gymnastics and you know I think you do you know you do need to take a step back and think well you know you're you are more important than that you know, and I think yeah. every, every individual, every athlete, you know, they've got to think more long term than just actually, do I break myself just for this one medal? No, actually, you know. Um, and I think the other thing is it's, you know, it's about with any sport, right? It's it, it's about doing it for the enjoyment out of it, for the love of it, the love of yeah. the sport, love of doing it. You know, if you're getting to a point where you're not enjoying it, then actually, you know, if you're putting yourself more at harm, like you say, because of that, potentially, yes, take a step back. You know, you need to sort your headspace out beforehand. And I think, you know, met, like like you say, mental health is just so important. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you're going to these athletes live and breathe this stuff. So it is actually, it's their whole life. It's not like it's something you do as a hobby. So if it's not right for you, then, yeah, I genuinely believe that they should step away from it. Um, but, yeah, so we kind of did go a little bit in depth on that. Uh, yeah. I'll kind of try and cheer yeah. up a little bit. So <laughs> moving on from the actual Olympics, based around the Olympics, um, there is a TV show that's been on the Sky One for a couple of years now, which is Robin Ramesh Versus. Yes. yes. So uh, essentially what they do is two comedians, uh, Rob Beckett and Ramesh Ranganathan, go around, meet different people, experience different like, walks of life, and obviously, being two idiots, funny things happen. Now, they basically created a um, one which focused around the Olympics, so it's Team GB, and they were trying to decide which discipline should be their discipline. So basically, they had all, all the different sports, and they were just sorting them through, and then basically narrowed on about seven of them. And then you actually went to go and experience them. And it, I'm not going to lie, it was absolutely hilarious. It was so much fun. They did everything from canoeing to weightlifting to like all sorts of different things. And, you know, it, it's a two-parter. So if you haven't seen it, you should be able to get on, like, catch up on Sky One, yeah. or, like Sky or Virgin or whatever. But genuinely, genuinely, I was crying. Absolutely crying. So much so that after watching those two, because we realised we had everything on catch-up, we've gone back to the whole start and worked our way back through. Yeah. So now we've come up to the third series, so we're not far off actually where we started watching the whole Team GB thing, but they've just been brilliant. They're just so yeah. much fun. And I've watched I've watched a few of the first season, I think, and, the, you know, I think they just have a really good chemistry as well. Um, but I can just imagine kind of Ramesh being quite almost negative, sarcastic, kind of getting fed up of it. And then Rob Beckett actually, bless him, I probably think would give it as all, but actually just get pushed to the breaking point of it and like just be completely, yeah. I think um, I think the, the balance between the two, especially the different styles that they have, um, do work well in compliment. And you can tell that they're genuine friends rather than two people that have been yeah. together because of certain things. Unless you're friends, you just wouldn't get away with yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's the thing that yeah. makes it uh, as an enjoyable programme to watch. But yeah, um, I'll say it's on Sky One. You should be able to get it on catch up. It, but just watch the, if nothing else, watch the Team GB specials, the trying hockey and everything. It, it's just, it's absolutely fantastic. It's really, really fun and actually really uplifting. So definitely worth a blast. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that was Golden Drac, which is from Belgium, which is our around the world for episode 37. And now moving on to the wild card. Because we love a sour, James, this one is from London Beer Factory, and it's called Sour Solstice, which is a blood orange and cranberry sour. We've had blood orange stuff before, and we hated it. I'm not a massive fan of cranberry. So, overall, I think this is going to be horrific. Um, It's very red in colour. It smells horrific. I'll be honest. So I mean, you has... get both the cranberry and the blood orange, I'll be honest. So. Oh, to make it even better for you, James, the malt in it is pilsner and wheat. Yeah, just to make it 
Your favourite. You know they do put wheat quite a lot in sours, don't they, to be fair, in terms yeah. of, I think because they, you know, fruity just to give it that more full body to it, but. Yeah, so it's very red in colour. Uh, I'll quickly, do, I'll tell you what, do you want to do the blurb on the back of the can for a change? Oh yeah, and then you can do it. Yeah, I'll, I'm on board this. Yeah, I'll uh, so, have a quick nose and a swig while you're doing that. So the sour sauce, this, this classic Berliner. Oh, that smells horrendous, doesn't it? Coinc- <laughs> it is, it is oh. very bad spell. Coincides with two solar phenomena, uh, phenomena, phenomena, I can't even speak, and seasons. Uh, tart cranberry with aromas of blood orange, balanced by the addition of lactose for increased body, reflects the contrast of these two annual events. Refreshing, sharp, Moorish. Moorish. Is this Moorish? Do you want to go back for more, Chris? What's your opinion? Um, it's not as bad as I expected it to. You haven't recalled, I'll be honest. I mean, 4.8%. I mean, are you getting much strength from it? Or is it or does the kind of sweetness, fruitiness, and then it's, it kind of sounds... It, it's a little bit more complexity to some of the sours that you can have. Because some of the sours that you have, um, it, they focus so much on getting that sour element that you lose everything else. This actually isn't just that stage. So you do get a bit of sweetness from the fruit. There is a sharpness to it, which you naturally expect from the sour, because that's the yeah, whole yeah. element of it. But actually, to be honest, the blood orange, the cranberry, and the maltiness does actually work together in quite a well-complemented way. So I'm not a massive fan of those individual yeah. elements on their own, but together, there, there's something about it which it does make your mouth water afterwards, as in, like, I do want a bit more, which is strange, because I don't like these type of things. I'll be, I'll be honest, I think for me personally, it's going to be more of a kind of dry aftertaste from it, I think. But I think you're right, though. It's it's balanced in the sense of you do get what you consider the kind of acidity, sourness to start with, which you would expect from this type of beer. But actually, it just kind of goes into that kind of malt to kind of hops at the end and kind of the caramel kind of balancing it in between. Um, that's really weird. I, I kind of want to say it's kind of a very acidic Tizer or something like that. Like I was going to say something like a San Pellegrino or something on on the posh type yeah, of pops. You know yeah, I mean? exactly. Yeah, and and that's not a bad thing. That with a little bit kind of more hops and alcohol, like you can you know you can definitely I think get the strength from it. Um, but again, I think whenever you have acidity in it, it does almost pretend hmm. like it's alcohol strength. So that could be kind of that overshadowing. But I'll be honest, it's not as bad as I thought it'd be. No, it's I, actually- I think. I'd actually even say, me, just go far as say it's pleasant. I, for me personally, I just I, like blood orange is not one of those flavors I particularly like, if I'm honest. And that's probably the main thing. I don't even mind the cranberry aspect of it, but then the cranberry you would expect <clears> to be a little bit drier anyway as a fruit, uh, which is probably, I think, probably what's giving you that kind of mouth watering aftertaste from it. But um, And I will say, which is something I don't say very often, I actually think the addition of milk. Has actually helped it. I know what you mean. Yeah, no, I know. I, I agree. I think it helps to balance those flavour profiles and just make it. I don't know. I think everything just comes together quite nicely. That is actually a lot better than I expected it to be. I, I think it's for me personally. It's very well balanced and blended. I think it's just the flavour is not that. It's not a fruit that I would want in a sour. If I'm yeah. honest, that's the thing. It, it's the fruit that I I probably don't like. Um, and actually, I think if it was more kind of. I don't know if it's a different, I suppose, more red berry with the cranberries kind of mm. thing would probably be, be more pleasant for me rather than, I suppose, the blood orange. Um, but then you, you do tend to get a lot of kind of citrusy notes with it anyway. So I think I think it's well balanced. And uh, considering the strength of that sour as well, I think that's actually more pleasant than I expected. I'll be honest, I'm drinking it very easily. Yeah, so I'm not even drinking it faster it. than me, which is the funny part because I'm actually yeah, doing yeah. it. It's a, it's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. These. It's got a certain kind of, I want to say, like, smoky or ashness to the end of it. Oh, I haven't got that. I haven't picked that up at all. No. I'm getting, like, I, I hate to say it, as, a, as somebody who used to be an ex-smoker, I'm always getting a tobacco finish to it. Um, Have you been smoking a Benson before good. we started? No, I haven't smoked in, in probably <laughs> probably over two years, Chris. But, I mean, if it's lingering that long, I mean, God, it was a good cigarette, but... Um, uh, I mean, I think I'm, I'm not even going to say how long it's been since I quit smoking because it's actually more fair, than half it, your age, I think. That could be a combination of the golden drought we previously had, to be fair. I do, I am thinking that I think, as well. And I, I, could, I could imagine that being the case, but um, yeah, I think maybe that that's kind of interfering with the, the aftertaste of it. Outside that, I think we, we've kind of hit the nail on the head there. Um, okay, then, James. It's definitely better than a lot of the sours we've had, though. 
Well, you know what time it is now, don't you? And this one is your choice first. So it's it's my choice first. Great. Okay. Um, oh, this this is this is very difficult. I think I, I'm gonna start with Stuart Brewing, upstate. Okay. Okay. Um, just because out of all of them, it's probably the most generic. Okay. I would say all very drinkable, all very sessionable, very nice. I think as we described it previously, kind of the Sam Adams kind of a low budget Sam Adams. Um, yeah. For me personally, I probably want more grapefruit, more flavor to it. Cause I, I know you didn't get the aroma of grapefruit, but I did no, get actually, that, I didn't get that from, from, from the, the, the notes of the hops. I think I did pick that up, but actually it wasn't there in flavor at all. Um, and then again, too though, bodied for me. I do drink a lot more grapefruity beers than you. So it's probably something I identify less than you would identify more. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's probably, yeah. Like you say, you are a big fan of kind of Elvis juice anyway, which is kind yeah, of and, uh, version, like, so. uh, twisted knots as well. That type of stuff. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, outside of that, I'd probably go sour solstice uh, next, which is the, the beer factory, uh, blood orange, cranberry sour, very pleasant. I think it is very well balanced. I think for me, like I say, it's it's the, the fruit that it's been picked. It's just that flavour that I don't like. Outside of that, it is a very pleasant beer. Um, also, I think it, it is compared to a lot of the sours we've had a lot more, and there's a lot more to it. I think it is yeah. a lot more complex than, let's say, the upstate. Um, outside of that, it is a bit difficult, but then I think Paul from Aldbury, you, you were right, but just not quite. Uh, the Golden Drac Classic would be next, uh, triple. I think for me personally, that is probably one of the best Belgian beers we've had, to be fair, on the podcast. Yeah, I think for me personally, in terms of flavour, I understand why it is one of the top rated. Like, it is a very complex beer, uh, kind of a lot lighter bodied. You'd expect that type of beer to be quite heavy, whereas actually that isn't. But yeah. I think for me personally... Bravehop, Le Monde. I can see why you drink a lot of that, Chris, not to call you an alcoholic. Um, but yeah, that is uh, very pleasant. I think just from an IPA standpoint, I think it is very well balanced, not too complex, but actually there is a really nice flavour to it. Um, and, and for me personally, it's that right balance of, of kind of hops to citrus. Like you get yeah. the fruitiness, you get the crispness, but actually you still get kind of the hop, the, the bitter aftertaste. So um, yeah, I think... Brave Hop is definitely one that I'm, I'm personally going to stock up on as well. So, uh, shame I can't buy it directly from them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it is a weird one with them. Right. Yeah. So, my order is it is different than yours, but not completely. So, okay. In fourth place, I'm going to go with the Golden Druck. Okay. I will start from saying, actually, all four of these beers were actually very enjoyable, which yeah. is actually quite nice. So change, which is quite um, rare, considering we have yeah. four completely different style of beers. Normally, we hate one of them. One of us hates one of them. Yeah, actually, <clears throat> no, I would actually drink all so. these again. Uh, but Golden Drack for me, although it actually was pleasant and but actually quite enjoyable, out of all of them, it was the one I would buy the least of. I would buy it again, but only ever and again. I think what you've said before about on previous episodes, depending on time of year. If it was winter, I probably would have gone to that a little bit more. But considering it's actually still quite warm yeah. in summer, it's just not what I'm going for, either. Yeah. Uh, in third place, I'm going to go Upstate. Okay. So Upstate, again, um, yes, it was very drinkable, more so than the Golden Drack. So I'd more like to buy that again if it was a barbecue or whatever, just because that easy drinky, sessionable aspect to it. However, what it's pitched as with the tanginess in the grapefruit and the extra bite from the American hops doesn't quite live up to what it's setting on the label, in my personal yeah. opinion. Uh, moving on into second place is the Sour Solstice. Yeah. Far more enjoyable than I expected it to be. I actually personally think the blood orange, the cranberry and the milk does work quite well. And I think it actually adds a, a strange smoothness to it, really, rather than just being all out intense. Uh, and actually quite impressive. And because of the warm weather as well, I think it just ticks a lot of boxes. Okay. But yeah, Top Dog, Brave Hop. There's a reason why I buy it a lot. It's a fantastic beer and actually quite underrated, in my personal opinion. Uh, but yeah, if you can get grab, if you can get hold of it, definitely get some. I don't think you'd be disappointed. Yeah. I'll be yeah. honest, the, the main thing I'd say about Brave Hop before you go on your final point is six percent i would not have said that from it doesn't taste like that is incredibly dangerous that is that is one of the main things to say with it so 
Uh, and I think that adds to its value for money as well. There we go. Anyway, Chris. So uh, finally, before we uh, wrap up, uh, this episode is actually going to be called Swan Song uh, because this is actually going to be your last uh, official appearance, isn't it, James? Last official appearance. Maybe I'll come back. It's not a, you know, goodbye per se, but... Yeah, so basically what's happening is you are going to be leaving the podcast as a regular co-host and what we're going to be doing moving forward is moving to more of a guest format. So uh, moving forward, I've already got five guests lined up, ready to go. Um, So the frequency of the podcast will drop, obviously, because there's so many other variables on the need to negotiate with different people about like availability and getting things done. Um, But as you've said, just because you're leaving on a regular basis does not mean that you won't be coming back at a later point uh, to record some episodes as well. That's the general gist of it. But yeah. Yeah. Realistically, it's life commitments, isn't it? That's kind of, you know, trying to balance a podcast yeah. out of lockdown with also uh, transport like issues and things as well has made it a lot harder. So I do think you understand um, where you're coming yeah. from. And it's one of those things, it has to be a viable option for everyone. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's it, it's one of those where, you know, I've got a lot of respect for you and, and kind of time that you put into it as well. And I think, you know, it's probably one of the things that listeners don't necessarily know. It's just the amount of time that goes into yeah. preparing it, getting it ready, putting it out there. It, it's not something that you do lightly. And I think, you know, on top of that, you know, social media and, and all that interaction, like you do spend a lot of time cultivating that and, and getting it to where it is. So um it, it is one of those where you know it's an enormous task but you know i hope I, i'll be able to come come back in future and, and support and uh take part I, the thing is you know after seeing kev's episode i realized you know how much more suited he is uh, to the experience. <laughs> and i'll be honest I, I was just i was seeing all the inadequacies in my own performance but um i'm sure our banter will, will stick around in one form or another uh i'm sure you know uh but yeah, I, I have no intention of having a regular yeah. co-host moving forward. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to get actually, to be honest, I, the people I've got lined up, there's quite a wide array of people set up. So yeah. uh, basically I've got um, another podcaster lined up. I've got some people for some breweries. I've even got some musicians lined up. I've, I'm trying to go for a much more, more varied approach. Yeah. And that's the reason why the time restraints, obviously, with the frequency of the episode, because of the type of people I'm going to be getting in, I can't just, you know, uh, focus on a two-week schedule. But I will release a small snippet uh, of the updates throughout it. I wouldn't expect anything by the end of August, but from September, I should be up and running with uh, the new content moving forward. But, yeah, I actually just want to say thank you very much for actually helping me achieve my dream of uh, starting and running a podcast. Yes, it is hard work, but actually, you know, it's something I genuinely do enjoy and I love my interactions with the fans and everything like that. So thank you for helping yeah. me realise this. But yeah, thank you very much, James. Cheers. And Cheers, thank you. Yeah, good luck moving forward. And we will be speaking to you at some point. I'm sure it will be... Uh, I'm sure we can do something, maybe another Instagram live around Christmas. I'm sure we can get some random We'll have more to like talk that. about than Disney+. Plus. I mean, that's the main <laughs> thing to look forward to. You, we'll have guests who have more interesting lives. I think this episode has proven it more than anything else. All we've talked about is things we've been watching on TV in one way or another. And that's not a bad thing. It just shows how little time we have to do other things at this point. And actually... You know, these will be people who have got other commitments and other things that they're getting involved in. And it'll be really interesting just to see the inside. I'll still be listening along. I'll be, I'll be there well, kind of, yeah. That's the difference as well, because our work schedule has been so opposite as well, because yeah. I work on a rotational basis at the moment. I am actually leaving that current job and then moving, starting a new job yeah, within a couple of weeks as well, which will also add to the delays because I need to get my feet under the ground in that yeah. respect. Um, but yeah, it's more a case of that way, but actually free up more time for me to go and actually see all these different people so yeah it is it is going to be fun um not i say we're not fully set down on the full formats the four beers will always stay the names will always stay it's just about how we deal with it moving forward so i will keep you updated as soon as we know uh what the plan is but yeah i expect to be speaking to you around september 
So thank you very much for listening, people. Thank you very much, James, for um, your help over the last 18 months. Well, it's probably a little bit longer than that now, isn't it? But uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, thank you, everyone. And I'll be speaking to you soon. Goodbye.